One of the things that uh, you are probably well aware of is, is that there are many different worldviews. There's different philosophies, different approaches to life that we might, might think about. These worldviews influence pretty much everything. They influence commercials. They influence entertainment. In particular, I would say music a lot of times has a way of sometimes subtly and not so suddenly presenting a particular worldview or a philosophy or approach to life. Now, there's a catchy tune that, uh, that I've heard um, that talks about living the life. And it's simply a song called The Life by Kenny Chesney. It's not often, it's been a while actually since I've quoted uh, a country song. And so for those of you who like country music, you might already find yourself going, oh, I love that song. It's really catchy. And, um, and just listen to the lyrics here for a second. I'm not going to sing it, by the way. I'm just going to read it. It was early one morning, Playa del Carma, Carmen, so he's in Mexico. That's when I first met Jose a local. He had a 12-foot schooner, a three-foot cooler, full of the catch of the day. Uh, You thought it was full of something else, didn't you? And he was wrinkled from grinning, from all the sun he had been in. He was barefoot, cerveza in hand. He said, gracias, senor, when I paid him too much for all of the snapper he had. Now I, t- <clears throat> man. Now I told my friend it ain't nothing. In the best broken Spanish I knew, I said I make a good living back home where I'm from. He smiled and said, "Amigo, me too." And then he describes his life in the chorus, and it goes like this. I think this will be up on the screen too. It says, "I," he said, "I fish, I play my guitar, I laugh at the bar with my friends." I go home to my wife, wondering why she's not with him at the bar. I pray every night. I can do it all over again. That's his prayer. That he could just live this day over and over and over again. Well, in the second verse, the uh, artist writes, uh, writes his words. And he goes, well, somewhere over Texas, so I'm assuming he's, he's flying back home. And he says, I thought of my Lexus. And all the stuff I worked so hard for. And all the things that I've gathered from climbing that ladder didn't make much sense anymore. They say my nest egg ain't ready to hatch yet. They keep holding my feet to the fire. They call it paying the price so that one day in life I'll have what I need to retire. And so he's thinking about that kind of corporate world that he's in, always striving for more, climbing that corporate ladder, and, you know, stepping back a little bit and going, you know, does that really make sense anymore? Because when he retires, guess what he wants to do? Just fish, play my guitar, and laugh at the bar with my friends, and go home to my wife and pray every night that I can just do it all over again. And then he adds the bridge, and to think that I thought for a while there that I had it made when the truth is really I'm just dying to live like Jose. Like that's what he wants in life, that that, that fishing and guitar playing and laughing at the bar and going home to his wife so he can pray every night just so he can do it all over again. And then the song ends with just this chorus, wouldn't that be the life? Wouldn't that be the life? 
Now, maybe that sounds really good to you, and you can just substitute, you know, golf for fish or something else, but it sounds nice, but is it really talking about a life of purpose and meaning? Not surprisingly, the Bible offers a very different way of life. It offers real meaning and real purpose, and that's why we've been studying the book of Colossians. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this young church in a city called Colossae, And we've been looking at this under this title of with. We've been exploring what it means really to be with Christ, to be with Jesus. And so far, Paul has given us this incredible theology of Jesus. And so like Paul, we've been making much of Jesus over these last few weeks. At the end of chapter 1 and then the beginning of chapter 2, Paul was telling them why he was so passionate about Jesus and why more than anything... He wanted them to be firm in their faith, to be mature in their faith. And Paul's intent was to encourage them, to strengthen them. Their faith in Jesus was being undermined by some in the church who claimed that you needed maybe a secret knowledge or somehow suggesting that maybe Jesus wasn't enough, that they needed more. There was pressure on them in some ways to turn away from Jesus. And up until now, we've been looking at what really would amount to Paul's introduction to this letter. And so now we're getting to the heart of the letter. Why did he write this letter in the first place? Because he, he wants more than anything for these believers to continue to grow and, and mature spiritually. And so if you have your Bibles open, you can follow along as I work my way through this text. And verse 6 is really a transition. And it just starts with, in the, I use the New International Version today, just so then, or, or some translations say therefore. In other words, in light of all that Jesus is and has done, here's how do we respond. And some would say that this verse is like Paul's thesis statement. This is what the whole letter is about. And he says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. And it's almost as if you hear the Colossians saying something like, well, we hear you, Paul. We don't want to be people who turn away from Jesus. We want to continue living in him. But how do we do that? And Paul says, well, continue to live your lives in him. Well, thanks, Paul. I mean, could you be a little bit more specific? Could you give us a little bit more than that? He says, well, continue to live your lives just as you received him. And so we think, well, well, how did they receive Jesus? How did we receive Jesus if you've received Jesus? Well, Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So how did you start this life in Christ? It's by grace through faith. So how do you continue to live in Him? By grace through faith. And so when Monday morning comes, how do we live in Christ on Monday and Tuesday and throughout the rest of the week? We live by grace through faith. One commentator, Kent Hughes, wrote this. He says, our experience of first coming to Jesus ought to mirror how we walk in him the rest of our days. So just as we come to Jesus 
by grace through faith. We continue to live in Jesus by grace through faith. In other words, they receive the good news. They receive the gospel. They are in Christ. And when Paul uses this word here, receive, it's not just in the sense of, you know, they accepted this. Uh, we use that word often when we're talking about accepting Jesus. And we kind of use those terms receive and accept somewhat interchangeably. But Paul means more than just accepting Jesus as his Savior. He says, really, in receiving Jesus, they also received an obligation to live in a certain way. That Jesus taught us how to live. He showed us how to live. And so when we receive Christ, the expectation is that we will then also live as Jesus did. And so that's why he says, okay, so you've, just as you received him, now continue to live your lives in him. And some of your translations might have the word walk there instead of live in him. So walk in him. It's another really good translation. And I think it helps us uh, understand this a little bit more because it's um, about a way of life. It's about a way of walking. It's a way of living that actually impacts our daily behavior. And Paul was saying that now that they are in Christ, that they ought to continue to live in him, continue to believe the truth about Jesus. You see, it's interesting to me here that Paul actually uses three separate words that could all be uh, separate, separate names that could all be used independently for Jesus. He uses Christ, he uses Jesus, and he uses Lord. But they all kind of run together, so you almost think of it as, as just one, one uh, phrase that he's using to, um, to refer to Jesus. But when he uses Christ, that means he's talking about the Messiah or the anointed one that was to come, that they, ex- that they were expecting to come. He uses the word Jesus, which is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua, which means the Lord saves. And you remember, uh, you may remember in, in Matthew's gospel when he's talking about, um, or in the opening chapters, when the angel appears to Joseph in a dream and he tells him that they're going to have a son. And he says, you're to give him the name Jesus. Why? He says, because he will save his people from their sins. And so he's saying he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior, and ultimately he is the Lord. He's the Lord. And, and I don't know that we use that term for Jesus enough, which is kind of shocking a little bit, because we, we like to think about him as our Savior, but when we talk about him as Lord, we then are actually acknowledging that we have to surrender to him. And it's interesting um, in the book of Acts, this early church and is, is um, being described and it's exploding. And throughout uh, the book of Acts, the word for Jesus used Savior is only actually used two times in the entire book. I think it's 28 chapters. As in, in, a, in, a, in, in contrast to that, the word Lord or kind of different combinations of the word Lord are used over a hundred times. You see, the early church understood that this Jesus is Lord. And if we have received him, we continue to live in him, which means we live in honor and obedience to him. We bow before him as Lord because we've received him as Lord. 
Billy Graham writes this. He says, No man can be said to be truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ, and he may have had emotion, uh, emotional religious experiences. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. And, and when I read that, I thought, man, that really kind of resonates with me, because I think that's kind of a bit of what my life was like. I, I came to Christ, I received Christ when I was 13 years old at a Billy Graham mission, at, a, at one of his, one of his uh, services. I gave my life to Jesus there. I was 13 years old. The next year, I was 14, I was baptized. But then I got into high school, I got into university, and my, my life kind of got off the rails a little bit. And I wasn't really thinking about what it meant to not just receiving Christ, but to continue to live in that reality. And so it wasn't until I was about 20 years old where I fell to my knees and surrendered my life to Jesus and said, listen, Lord, whatever you want, whatever you want with my life, I'll, I'll do Little did I know that he would completely change the trajectory of my life, and I'd go from, from studying to be a dentist to being a pastor now. Because that's what I thought he called me to, very clearly. Receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Have you made Jesus Lord of your life? where every day you walk in surrender to Him. Where every day you ask Him for wisdom. Every day you ask Him for direction. Every day you are walking so closely with Him. In all of the opening chapter of Colossians, this ultimately becomes the first command. And that's what it means to us today. Continue to live your lives in Him. So where are you at today? Are you one who has received Christ Jesus as Lord? So what do you do with the rest of your life? You don't fish, as good as that is. You don't play guitar. You don't whatever. You spend the rest of your life living in Him. So what does that look like? I think Paul goes on to unpack a little bit of what this life looks like? How do we uh, live this life as we continue to walk in submission and surrender to Jesus as Lord? So to think about life in Christ, he goes on in verse 7, he says now, you're rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And Paul uses four participles here. He just expands on what he's meaning when he talks about this life in Christ. He uses a couple of metaphors that I think help us to, to understand what living this life in Christ looks like. And the first three of these are actually what's considered in, in the passive voice, which means that someone, namely God, has actually done these things for them. So life in Christ involves being, first of all, rooted. Rooted. And it may just seem like a simple word. I can read over that quickly. Rooted and built up in him strength. And, you, and it's just, well, what does that mean? 
So when you think of roots, picture a tree with deep roots in rich soil. That this tree, there's a, there's a, a firmness there. There's a stability there. Maybe it'll help to first think about that in contrast. When you think of, maybe you've planted a a, a small tree or a young tree. When we moved to Edmonton, we bought a a new house and we had to do the landscaping. And so we were given a credit. We had to go and because that was was the requirement. You got to put one tree in your front yard because that's all you got room for. And so we go and we find this one tree. And, um, you know, you put it in the ground and you kind of stamp it down. You think you've done all the things right. And then a windstorm comes and you look out and the tree's like this, right? Anybody ever had that experience? And then you realize going, ah, yeah, that's right. I got to stake it and hold it in place. Why? Until that tree establishes good roots. That tree is now 12 years old and you can see the roots all across the surface of the ground Um, stretching out, and there's nothing that's going to, maybe short of a tornado or something like that, will ever rock that tree. And so roots that grow deep and wide, uh, uh, roots where a tree ultimately is sustained by the nourishment in the soil. And so Paul is using this as a picture or as a metaphor to help us understand that as believers, we too have been firmly rooted. We've been rooted in Christ, and therefore we find our spiritual nourishment in Christ. And this happens at salvation. It happens at conversion. And, and, then, and then he basically says, so this has already happened, but now continue to live in this. Continue to live in this. The picture, I think, that the psalmist gets at in Psalm 1, verses 1 to 3, helps us here as well. And there, excuse me, the psalmist writes, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. Okay? So there's a blessed one, and the one that's blessed doesn't walk in the wicked ways or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. But in contrast to that, he says, his delight, get this, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. Okay? So do you see this picture again? There's one in contrast. There's the blessed one, and there's the wicked one. And he says, the blessed one is one who meditates on the law day and night. And then he draws the analogy this way. He paints this picture. He says, that person, that person who is rooted, is like a tree planted by streams of water. What does that stream of water do? It provides the nourishment that it needs, the food that it needs which yields its fruit then in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. So that's the image that Paul's trying to get at. He says, listen, just as you receive Christ Jesus Lord, continue to live in him rooted. Okay? Rooted. Delight in the law. Meditate on it. These are important ways for us to grow and to be nurtured in our spiritual lives is when we get in into God's word and we learn more about him okay there's a similar idea that Jesus uses in John 15 about the vine remember this he says I am the vine and you are the branches if you what remain in me or being rooted in that vine 
And why is that so important? Remember that young tree that got blown over by the wind? When you as a, as a believer are firmly rooted and the storms of life come, there's just this automatic dependence and trust that is already there. You've had these roots that have been established and you have a strength that is not your own. It comes from Jesus. And, and, when, and I, didn't, I hadn't looked at some of the lyrics to the songs this morning. And when we sang Promises and that line came up, I just went, yeah, that's it. I don't know if you'll make that connection, so I'm going to make it for you. Right? What did he say? Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, what? I'll remain steadfast. Why? Because we're rooted. Our roots are deep in Christ. The second word that he uses is built up. Built up. And again, there's a picture here, right? It's a picture of a building. And all good, solid buildings have a good, solid foundation. And as believers in Jesus, our foundation rests on Christ, and we're in Christ, and as we're built up, we actually begin to look more and more like Jesus because we're practicing the way of Jesus. This is just an ongoing action that we participate in. And so our purpose becomes about building this relationship with Jesus, about walking in his way. Jose didn't sing anything about that. In John in 1 John 2, verse 6, John writes, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And so when we live as Jesus did, we're, we're actually built up. And we can spend all of our days then desiring to go, praying, God, just, just make me more like Jesus. Tomorrow morning when we wake up, we can just say, God, today help me to be more like your son Jesus. When I encounter difficult people, when I encounter difficult situations, help me just to be more like Jesus. Help my responses, my attitude, my outlook to be more like Jesus. Because whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Thirdly, he says that they're strengthened or established in the faith. And here Paul is using really a legal term meaning confirmed. It's like an official stamp on a legal document. It was used of a binding contract, you know, established. This is done. So think about it in, in this way. That, you know, we love Jesus and so we continue to get to know him. And the more that we get to know him, the more that we actually love him. We're just strengthened in the faith that way. He says, as we're taught, because we're built up and established in order to stand firm against some of the false teaching. And really what Paul's getting at is, he says, listen, look, there's all of these false teachings out there, and they're, they're threatening to pull you away from Jesus. But the way to really know how to tell that it's a counterfeit faith is by actually being fully immersed in the real thing. And when you fully get to know Jesus, then you're a little quicker to go, you know, that seems a little off. That doesn't seem right. That's not who I know Jesus to be. We're strengthened and established in the faith. And I love this last one. We're overflowing with thankfulness. What's interesting here, I believe, is that 
the response of thankfulness is as a result of the first three. Paul recognizes that, you know, we are rooted in Christ. We are built up in Christ. We're established in the faith, as it were. And so, our response is one of thankfulness. It's the result of being rooted, built up, and established in the faith. And so we, we spill over. We're overflowing with thankfulness, with gratitude, and with praise. We can't help but sing. We can't help but express praise. Because our hearts are overflowing with thankfulness because of what Jesus has done. It's a theme throughout this letter to the Colossians. And, and Paul, I think this is, is such a deep part of his own experience of faith that, that it comes out in most of his other letter, letters as well. And I think it just highlights how important it is for us to have a grateful heart because a grateful heart will ultimately strengthen our faith, thankful for everything that Jesus has done. And you think about what's the opposite of a grateful heart. <laughs> just an ungrateful heart. And when we're ungrateful, we, we, we just go down that road of negativity, that, that road of, of, of sometimes whining and complaining. And, and, and I mean, we, we see this in so many different ways. Friends, most of the things that we get worked up about are just so not important. They're just secondary issues. And those other things are what distract us from Jesus. And they distract us from how great He is and for all that He has done for us. Friends, can I ask you pointedly, what is your life overflowing with? When you get jostled in the grocery store, what spills out? I often see fear, anger, envy. And when our heart is full of thanksgiving, it's like those things just kind of get pushed out. And thankfulness strengthens and deepens our faith. And so, like the Apostle Paul, I want to say to you today, I believe that a grateful heart is really a must-have for the believer. Right? It, just, it just underscores it. It underscores that we get it. That we understand what Jesus has done for us. And we don't just give lip service to it. We, just, we realize that it's become part of who we are. And we can't help but give thanks. And we see this so many times. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Let me give you some examples. Give thanks, Paul writes, in all circumstances... And how strong does he feel about it? He says, for this is in fact God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we give thanks. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to God the Father for what? Everything. Hebrews 13 verse 15, through Jesus therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Friends, that's what we do when we sing. We, we, you know, artists and writers have put words to these expressions of praise, these expressions of thanks. And we can gather like this on a Sunday morning and we can express this together. 
And one more, Colossians, later on, we'll come to this in chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. Paul writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. It's like he just, oh yeah, i got to remind him again. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul has a prayer for the church at Ephesus. And in verse 17 through 19, these words are going to sound very familiar, but it's a similar theme to what we're talking about here this morning. And he says, and I pray that you, being rooted, there it is again, okay? Established roots, nourished by Christ, sustained by Christ, strengthened by Christ, and we're established in love. It's been taken care of. There's a legal document that has a stamp on it. And that stamp is Christ's love. And I pray that you, being rooted and established, you may have power together with all of God's holy people, he says, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Friends, Jesus is not just with us. He's in us. He's in us. And because He's in us, He's with us. You know, over these last few months, this fall, we decided to have a a very specific emphasis on spiritual practices. That as we walk as Jesus walked, as we walk with Jesus, we recognize that there are particular um, practices that we can engage in, like silence and solitude, And so you think back to Psalm 1 where he talked about whose delight is in the law. He meditates in the law. That's what we do in silence and solitude. We meditate on the Bible. We meditate on the things of Christ. We engage in the practice of Scripture reading because that is the law of the Lord and and we want to meditate and delight in this. We engage in in this activity of worship and celebration because we want to have a place where we can express our praise and our thanksgiving. And so to live in Christ, to walk in the way of Jesus, we absolutely have to make time for these practices. And so we need to be intentional about it. And I know right now I'm thinking, well, I'm kind of preaching to the choir in a sense. You're here, you get it. But, But you recognize that coming together is a important weekly practice. But there are daily rhythms uh, of spiritual practices to engage in. There may be weekly. There may even be monthly. Weekly, uh, we just talked about the, the practice of Sabbath at Equip the other night. And here's my point. Listen, in so many other areas of life, we get very practical and we're very intentional about um, things in other areas. Things like when we decide we we need to be on a diet, we need to lose some weight, so we eat less, we eat better, those kind of things. We we maybe are very intentional about uh, getting the right exercise. Or we decide, you know what, I'm going to run a marathon. Nobody just decides that they're going to run a marathon one week and then the next weekend go out and run a marathon, right? What do they do? They lay out a training plan. There's, there's many, many plans you can travel, or plans that you can practice 
so that you can ultimately build up so that you can run a marathon. And physical training is good. There's nothing wrong with it. We should do that. We should be concerned about diet and exercise. Maybe not running a marathon. That's not for everyone. But physical training is good. But listen, it can't become ultimate. And when we set aside more time to engage in physical practices as opposed to spiritual practices, we maybe have something a little upside down. And that's why Pastor Adam has been teaching at Equip uh, this fall session, training for godliness. Why? Because 1 Timothy 4.8 says for physical training, okay, that's the, the exercise and the running and all that stuff, is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And so, every Thursday night, training for godliness, spiritual practices for ordinary people. And if you didn't engage in September or October, I think it started the first week of October, you can go online to our YouTube channel, and all of the sessions up to session six are already there. And you can say, you know what? I do want to be more intentional about the practices that I engage in. And what we feel like as a church, as a staff, we want to just simply resource you. And you decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to try this. This is something that might work for me. And we're not saying, like, here's 32 new things to do. We're not saying that. We're not even saying there's 10 things to do. We're asking you to consider what are some of the practices that you might engage in. And so we talk about daily scripture reading, and we have a plan that we, is put together by Robert Murray McShane, and uh, the weekly readings are in the Sunday news. Um, you can also, if you have version or almost any Bible reading app, and you go to their plans, most of them will have access to that specific plan called McShane's uh, reading plan. We're moving into Advent here in just a couple of weeks, and we're going to provide uh, like a weekly PDF that are just some, some daily Advent readings that will engage you in Scripture and praying through that Scripture. Uh, we're using a resource called Seeking God's Face. So it's a full, it's actually a book that's the full year, but we're going to just excerpt and provide you with those resources so that you can say, you know what, I want to prepare my heart rightfully for Jesus. I want to be focused on the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus. This is significant, and therefore I'm going to engage in these activities, intentional practices. Why? So that we would be rooted in Christ, so that we would be built up in Christ, so that we would be established in our faith. And as we grow and as we learn about Jesus, that we would overflow with thanksgiving. Well, I spent more time on that than I had intended, and so I'm going to just, um, just touch on some of these verses, and the nice thing about coming back next week is um, I'm on again, and so I'll pick up some of this next week as we kind of conclude this section before we take a break and move into some Advent themes on the 28th. But, um, yeah.
Let me just close with this. And, um, and maybe you've read all the way through verse 12, and I know I'm, I'm leaving uh, some ground uncovered right now, but I'll come back to it. Um, you know, in my study, I usually compare four major translations and just trying to help me understand some of the different uh, Greek words, how they're translated. And so I use uh, New International Version, the Christian Standard Bible, uh, the English uh, Standard Version or the ESV, and then the NLT. Um, and then sometimes I'll read the message, which is a paraphrase uh, done, written by Eugene Peterson, and some of you would be familiar with it. And um, when I read this, I thought, you know, this is how I'm going to conclude the service. And so um, maybe this will put some of those uh, verses that I've skipped over in context, at least with this. So my hope in reading this to you this morning is, can you just maybe even just close your eyes and just, just to concentrate and listen to these words, and, uh, and you'll hear some of what I covered in different language that I hope reinforces it, and then maybe a few things as well. And just ask the Holy Spirit to uh, land some things on your heart this morning. This is how Eugene Peterson puts these verses. He says, My counsel for you is simple and straightforward. Just go ahead with what you've been given. You received Christ Jesus, the Master. Now live Him. You're deeply rooted in Him. You're well constructed upon Him. You know your way around the faith. Now do what you've been taught. School's out. Quit studying the subject and start living it. And let your living spill over into thanksgiving. Watch out. And this is some of what I skipped about a warning that Paul gives to the the readers there. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off into endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in Him so you can see and hear Him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without Him. When you come to Him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Entering into this fullness is not something you figure out or achieve. It's not a matter of being circumcised or keeping a long list of rules. No, you're already in. Insiders not through some secret initiation rite, but rather through what Christ has already gone through for you, destroying the power of sin. If it's an initiation ritual you're after, you've already been through it by submitting to baptism. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection, God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. Father God, when we hear these words in a new way and maybe a fresh way. I pray that it would just remind us again, over and over, that we have so much reason to be thankful.
to be thankful for all that Jesus has done. That when we have received Him, that we, when we have chosen to submit to Him, because He has called us to Himself, He has given us the gift of faith, and we've exercised that faith. And so, by grace, through faith, we've entered into this incredible relationship with You through Your Son, Jesus. And we've been rooted so that we can stand the storms of life. We've been built up so that we can be more like Jesus. We have been established in the faith. And so we say thank you. And we thank you that this changes everything. You being in us. You being with us. Father, it's so easy to to be pulled away from just these core essential truths about Jesus. And I pray that you just bring us back to the simplicity and the reality of what it means to just live in you each day. And that tomorrow morning when we wake, that we would just be able to say, thank you, Jesus, that we have life and we have breath. And for each breath that you give me today and this week, I want to give you thanks. I want to express praise and thanksgiving to you. And so we say thank you. So come, Lord Jesus. Do a work in each of our lives. Draw us closer to yourself. I ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.